one of the reasons that I think us having a good ethic on uh, transition, I'll tell you why I'm using that word in a second, but um, is because if we don't have a proper concept of how these things work, it could change the way that we live our lives. And it could change the amount of compromise that we have. And um, my father's quote was, when I gave my life to Christ at age 17, that's when I was ready to die. And he, so he, he went and served in Korea. He's like, there were bullets, there were live bullets. And I wasn't afraid of getting hit by one of those bullets. And there were guys all around me that were cowering. They didn't want to be hit by bullets. And I thought, well, I want to be smart, but when it's my time to go, I've already decided to give my life to the king. So whenever he plays that card and says, I'll take it now, it's great. It's fine. And uh, I, I remember even thinking, especially in my father's retirement years, I selfishly felt a little like unloved. Like, don't you don't you want to be around like to see my kids grow up and be here as I age? And he's like, I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to go yesterday. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever whatever he wants. And I selfishly kind of thought like, well, I want you to kind of like want to be here, and I want you to have this kind of sentimental feeling. And he didn't have it. He didn't he didn't have a sentimental you feeling. Yeah, meditating on those things around his passing um, was kind of striking to me in that um, we, we know people who are still presently dealing with um, loved ones who've passed away, and, and it's been years since, and there is still this cloud of darkness, depression, and grief. Um, and I'm, t uh, we, we know people who 15 years after somebody has gone, there's still this tiptoeing around the use of the name and like, that's the loved one's closet and we don't, it's like a shrine and like weird, huh? And you think there's a conflict of worldviews here. If you contrast the way that my parents felt about such things, even, you know, the, you look at the way that kind of like funeral programs look and there's the blurred edges and the gauzy picture and like, we always think of heaven as gauzy and blurry and ethereal. If you've seen that, you think that this is ethereal. You think that t touching these materials is not quite real after being there. That's real, real. And the colors are more real up there. And they're like, you can feel, they say you can feel music. And you can, when you see colors, you can taste the colors. And like, they're, you're, everything's more real. They said, we don't have five senses, we have a thousand senses up there. Well, hi everybody, and welcome to Abraham's Wallet. My name is Stephen Manuel. And um, as you can plainly see, we've thrown you right into the deep end of a discussion that is about grief and dying and heaven and all of these things. And uh, we're giving you a, a pretty unusual uh, episode this week, not only the subject matter, uh, but the way that it was uh, recorded and how, how this, how this uh, recording came about. The discussion is, I think, appropriate for our group, even though there's very little on the, on the subject of money. One thing that troubles me, as, I, as you already heard me say, is that there's so little teaching given on the subject of death in the modern church, and death is going to be a part of your lifetime. It's something that we need to train our children around uh, regarding how to think of it. And we certainly need to have a healthy and biblical attitude towards death. So 
That's why I think the subject's apropos because it's going to be, it's like, kind of like food. Uh, we've been talking about food lately, um, last week as a matter of fact, because it's going to be part of your life. And if you're a home leader, if you're a family leader, you've got to get your head around what you're going to do about food, what you're going to do about discipline, what you're going to do about money, what you're going to do about death. These are things that are common to all of us. Uh, there's a dearth of good information on the subject of death. So because of that, when I came back uh, to Cincinnati from Texas after uh, attending my father's funeral, my head was full of ideas about the subject. And so we simply called some people together in my home and we had a time of prayer and an open discussion time. And I wanted to share some of the things that I was learning. I wanted to compare notes with people and I wanted us to, to discuss things together. It was a good discussion. However, you're really not gonna hear that discussion for a couple of reasons. One, because I was wearing a lapel mic on me during this discussion. And so I'm the only one we picked up and secondly, because the things that were shared in that room were pretty intimate and personal, and I don't feel the license to share what really anybody else said unless they're making comments on what I was saying. And I've even cut out some of what I said that's, uh, it's just too personal. It's not my, it's, I don't feel that it's my information to give away. It's either about my parents or others in my family. So I, I'm, I've tried to edit this in such a way that we're limiting to how can we cover what does the Bible actually say about grieving and death and how can we handle this subject in a way that truly honors the Lord and is truly different than the world. So you've been listening this far. Uh, you're interested. I appreciate that. And so that's today's subject. And this is Abraham's Wallet. Join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity, spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and financially. Run your home, your dough, like a biblical boss. I just feel like death and the whole concept of death is so seldom talked about that we don't the, the only sort of community ethic we have is whatever you've picked up whether it's rumor or tradition or anything it's uncovered territory in in the popular church it's certainly not uncovered territory in the scriptures it's just not a popular thing to describe and and i personally i have an ambition that my community would share an ethic on the concept so that we would comfort each other the way that is appropriate, for instance. That we would not lead each other down sentimental paths that we're not supposed to. At the very least, we're all gonna experience our parents going at some point. And then you're, you're gonna go at some point and the way that you have i can speak for my dad the way that you have conditioned those around you to think of it is going to matter a lot so i would rather that those things were based on f true foundations the first thing that i want would like to look at is the terms the terms around it scott let's hear john 10 27 and 28 my sheep listen to my voice and i know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's very challenging for me to hear that. What does he say will, will never, ever, ever, ever happen to his sheep? They'll never perish? Never perish? Mm -hmm. What happened to my dad on... January 31st. He died. Did he? His body did. Okay. But he did not perish. So Jesus said, Calls home. people who follow me don't ever die. 
what's the most common way to describe what happened to my dad on the 31st? He died. Now, I just want to ask the question, am I disagreeing with Jesus when I say those words? My dad died on January 31st. What did Jesus say again? Just read it to me one last time. Just read, yeah. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will ever take them out of my hand. So that's a very important thing for us to say. I don't care if there's some freak accident and somebody's engine blows up and they it's like, oh, if only they had 10 minutes earlier, if they hadn't been there when the train crossed the tracks. Jesus just said, nobody takes them out of my hand. It's impossible. So, I'm, again, I'm thinking terms, the way that we talk about these things. Let's listen to John 11, 11 through 14. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And now read 21 through 26. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you're at, you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? So in that first little exchange, Jesus tells his disciples, Jesus talks, I, the way I read that is Jesus talks the way that he wanted to talk. Lazarus has fallen asleep. I want us to go to Lazarus because he fell asleep and we're going to deal with him. Well, Jesus, if he's asleep, he's going to wake up. It's no big deal. And Jesus is like, they don't understand what I'm saying. He's dead, guys. He's dead. Oh, right, 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 right. So I, it sounds to me like he used that word so that they would clue in on like he stopped breathing. That's what I mean. But Jesus, when he was talking about it the way he wanted to, he said he's fallen asleep. That's what I see. And then at the end, in, in verse 25, 26, he says, point blank, whoever believes in me will never die. He said it again. He said it in John 10. He said it in John 11. Am I putting words in his mouth or is that what Jesus said? So I feel, and, and <clears throat> you know, I was with a bunch of old people in Houston, my parents' friends were coming through the house. I'm having a lot of conversations with old friends and people are telling me stories of other people passing on. And I said something about die. And I, I was a friend of the family. It was in my parents' living room. said something like, Stephen, you might just want to take care of the way you're using that word because they don't, we don't die. Death, we're not going to taste death anymore. That's not going to happen to us. Like, huh. Well, if I can shoot forward to um, imagine heaven, there's a story of this uh, lady. She's, she's been around water all her life. I think she was a kayaking instructor. And she was going down these rapids and her kayak flipped over She's trapped between two boulders and she can feel the water rushing so much. She goes, I'm never getting up. And she said, I could feel my back snapping. I could feel the tendons tearing in my back and none of it hurt me. She said, I have, we have always, you know, the rumor 
is drowning. Horrible way to go. And she said, I knew I'm sitting there under the water. I'm observing my body is breaking apart. I'm going to pass away. And she's like, there was no pain involved because as soon as I was under the water and it hit me, I'm going to die. She said, I have, I, you just have to trust me when I tell you Jesus was there and he was not only had his arms around me, I was inside of him. I was inside of Jesus from that moment before I, before my, I had left my body. And I think of that kind of thing and think of the way that we go like, oh, I would hate to die in a fire, you know, oh, look, you know, like those, those wonderful Fox's Book of Martyrs believers who get burned at the stake and, oh, wouldn't that be terrible? And we, you, you might experience some pain if your flesh is on fire for a minute, but everybody's testimony is that Jesus is there. The scriptures say nobody passes away, but that the Lord's eye is immediately on his children, wherever they are. He's there. And it seems to me like even our fear of the dying process is misplaced. As if we have to, I think my thought has kind of been, well, I have to go through the horror of my body dying on my own. And then I go into the netherworld on my own. And maybe I go through a tunnel on my own. And then at the end, maybe I'll see Jesus, you know, and then everything will be all right. And I think, what an insult to my Savior to even describe that process that way. That's, yeah. not, that's not it. No, he's with me now. And when I make the transition out of this body, he'll be with me then. And then whatever happens, however you get checked in to the new world. He'll be there with me there too. So um, I, I, I was very challenged by this the lady saying, you need to use the phrase either transitioned or like maybe passed away. But she said, your father did not die, did he? I think it was Nancy. Nancy, Yeah. Your father did not die, did he? I'm like, no, ma'am, he did not die. Well, that's what you keep saying. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. And then Joy, let's hear Isaiah twenty six nineteen. Um, but those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. That is awesome. Let's hear that one again. Nice and slow. But those who die in the Lord will live. Will live. Their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. What's the reference on that? Um, Isaiah 19. Isaiah 26:19. And I think a lot of what we what we call uh, grieving is um, Michael Shields taught us about the sin of fantasy lust. And um, fantasy lust would include, uh, let's say you're a, a dad with a bunch of young kids and you fantasize about being single while you're driving home from work. You're thinking, God. I was single and you imagined the apartment that you would come to and how you would turn sports center on and then I could make myself a steak and then I could leave the dishes out and go to in my big silk bed with nobody bothering me and you indulge that fantasy lust that sin that that whole process now you can be tempted when you're thinking my wife told me that both Billy and Mikey need spankings when I get home. It's going to be a disaster. You know, it's, it's normal to be tempted to think, geez, if I didn't even have any. But you're, well, those are the thoughts we're supposed to arrest. And when you indulge it, because it's fun to imagine your bachelor life, now you're engaging in sin. Okay? So I think that fantasy lust happens all the time when we lose somebody 
and I'm saying, if God had not, if God had not done what He had done, yep. I could be doing this and this and this. It would be better. And I would like to visit that world for a while. And I'm telling you, that world that you're visiting is satanic. And most of what we do when we think of grieving, we're saying, well, I really miss them. And I really like thinking about what a wish that it was like today. So. <laughs> is, does that lead to, do you feel like that leads to uh, like despair? I feel like the difference between grieving and despair. Despair is simple. Like, it's mostly simple. selfishness. It's mostly self-centeredness. I, I think it, I think it, 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 it uh, paves the road to depression because you cannot live the life that you want to live. Sure. That's depression. Right. So what we have to do is what he's working very hard to do. And he's doing it instinctively as a disciple, which is this is the life that the father has given me. My mother was not supposed to turn 80 and have her husband of 58 years there. She wasn't supposed to. This is it. And so I think it's, I think it's faithless. My mother's 80th birthday will happen next year. I think it's faithless that if I'm standing there on my, uh, my mother's 80th birthday to go, don't we wish dad was here? I don't think so. To me, that's a conversation between me and my master. And I say, God, I just confess that I wish I could talk to my dad right now. And so this is also in Imagine Heaven is, I forget the backstory. Somebody's father died shockingly and horribly. And somebody uh, this person dealt really struggled with what God would, would have allowed. And then finally, kind of out of a little bit of defiance, but, but also just like I give up. Uh, <clears throat> the, the, the comment was, well, God, you're going to have to be my father now. So I'm going to come to you with problems. And then like in subsequent weeks, they, they came across this verse where the Lord says, I'm going to be your father. I will be your father. I'm like, oh, that was, I didn't actually come up with that idea. Like the Lord actually said that to me, prompted me to say that to him. So I just say that as a side, as a side note to say, the Lord says that he's our husband. If, if a woman has, has lost a, a husband. He, he says that he's our friend, if we've lost a friend. Um, I just think that we're supposed to take these emptinesses to him. And I don't think it's wrong to say, this would be a great day to go out hunting with my dad. I can't do that. And Lord, I just take that to you. But what I, what I won't allow myself to do is to indulge the saddening, sickly, sentimental fantasy of, oh, I could just imagine Dad coming down the driveway with his car today. And why he would, I would hug him, and then the kids would run out. And like, what are you doing? That's not happening. And, and I think that kind of sentimental fantasy would be affirmed by 90% of the church. And by the way, the church isn't very healthy. We, we don't know the Lord and we're divorced and we have mental illness and we're on drugs. So I would rather that we live in the reality of what he tells us to do. And um, we're going to put one button on that. Oh, my sister, my sister just texted me last night. My sister's on the road right now with six or eight of her 10 kids. And she's appearing at my mother's house 
today for the first time since my father passed away. And she texted me last night and just said, I'm really struggling with my feelings because I'm struggling with the thought and feeling of, I wish dad would be there to greet us in the driveway the way that he always has. And I know it's just going to be mom tomorrow. And I just told her, first of all, you can feel whatever you feel. It's okay. You know, because I think my sister actually deals with condemnation when she, when she feels what she doesn't want to feel. I'm like, let, just observe that you have this emotion. It's okay to have this emotion. Oh, sadness. This is what, oh, this is what they call sadness. I'm feeling sadness right now. Okay. It doesn't have to lead you. You can feel it and go, this is sadness. And it's also not going to lead my beliefs. And I encouraged her, you should share that with mom and just say, I'm struggling with that feeling of kind of wishing that you were both here and uh, you're not both here. You're not both going to be here and I'm getting over it and I'm working through it, but that's kind of what I'm struggling with. Like, I think that'd be totally fine. And if she cries while she's pulling up the driveway, that's okay. It's just an emotion. And I, I think the modern church has, there's so much self-worship in the church that in, literally anything that makes you feel good is fine. And it's not fine. It's not, it's, it's not fine. Did we read Revelation 21 for? <laughs> okay. Um, John, uh, in, yeah, this is great. Uh, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Okay. I mean, you can go on. Behold, I'm making all things new. Let me just just read the things that he's going to be doing away with. Wiping tears. Um, And then there will be no more of these things. Death, mourning, crying, pain. Okay. Because those things passed away. Okay. No more death, mourning, crying, or pain. When we're in our right minds, say you're in, the, in the, you're in a groove of worship and you would say to the Lord, everything you do is perfectly right. All you do is right. That, we won't have to effort that in heaven. That'll be reality for us. And when we think old Uncle Jim that we prayed for and he never came around and he never heard the gospel, we're not going to say poor old Uncle Jim. We're going to say, Lord, all you do is right. And you have gathered all the ones to you that you wanted. That's John 17. He lost nobody. He got everybody he wanted. You're the king of the world. That's what I think our attitude will be. I don't think we'll be thinking about poor. Yeah. Yes. So what I thought of when I saw that verse in thinking about this subject is, what did Jesus teach us to pray? What? Go on. On earth as it is in heaven. Tell me what it's like in heaven. So what we're praying for is that we would experience the heavenly culture here where there is no death or mourning or crying or pain. Um, And then the question is, when it says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, what are the tears for? So this is hearsay. That's right. This is just one man's opinion. And it's been buttressed by Imagine Heaven. My question is, what does it mean to stand before the great white throne? And what these people in Imagine Heaven say is that there is a review of your life. And there was this woman who was, she was abused horribly from the time she was a child, right through adulthood, horrible marriages, physical trauma, horrible, horrible, horrible. And she hated God because how could he allow my life to have been this way? And at some point in her adulthood, she received Jesus as Savior, but kind of had this relationship with him like, it sure is hard to trust you. I believe you're the king of the world, but I don't really believe you love me. She had one of these death experiences. And she stood before Jesus. There was this review of her life, and she saw it all from 
the Lord's perspective, and her bottom line reaction to her life standing before God is, why didn't I serve you and love you more in my life? And it was 0% left of, why did you let this happen to me? It was not, it was like that whole thought seemed, I, I, and now that she's alive again, she's like, I think of that attitude and it seems utterly nonsensical in the face of who God is. And so I think that the tears will be our remorse over our lack of faith and obedience and worship. And I think that those tears will be a form of worship to God to say, I see my life now the way that you saw it the whole time. And I'm, I'm sorry before the king for these inconsistencies in my life. And I think out of his mercy and grace, he'll wipe those tears when he goes, we don't have to worry about that anymore. It's okay. It's all forgiven. John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. What? <laughs> Do not let your hearts be troubled. What? Is that a command? <laughs> Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I mean, we really have to have the Holy Spirit to walk us through what is healthy grief because I'm trying to process through the things that won't happen. I'm trying to process through, well, I, I loved the plans that I had of my dad seeing his children's children's children. I really had that goal for him because I want that for myself. There's a process of walking through that stuff, and he also told me, you don't let your heart be troubled. It's there, isn't it? But this is the big mambo throwdown passage in all of Scripture about this. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Nice and slow. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do. There's so much in that one verse. Who have no And but but and we're don't we don't we want to be careful about the way that you grieve for who? Who? Those who are asleep, yes. Those who are asleep. Now notice the language that Paul uses. And then fourteen. We believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Let me hear 13 one more time. Okay. But we do, do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as indeed the rest of mankind do, who have no hope. Okay. I'll let you proceed with your passage in a second. But I, I hope that we could agree. I would love it if the whole church of Cincinnati could agree that we, by God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we will never grieve the way that those around us grieve. We won't grieve the way the world grieves. And we also won't agree... We, we, we won't grieve the way that most of the presumed church grieves. They say that anywhere between 50 to 80% of people that fill up churches are not born again and don't have a biblical worldview. Barna just did a, just, Barna just did a, a um, survey and 30% of youth ministers in Protestant churches across the USA, 30% have a Christian worldview, just asking them basic questions. So we mustn't go look at the red brick church house on the corner to tell us how to grieve because they don't know. We have to look here. And I pray that my Christian community will grieve the right way. 
because that verse, I could say that that verse is the whole reason this meeting is happening because we have, we're under strict commands. And this is, and I'm quoting my father. We are not to grieve the way that the world grieves. And so we have to pay very close attention. Well, how are we supposed to grieve, Lord? Tell us how to act and how to feel and what to think. And he's like, I will help you with that. I'll tell you. So that's why we're investigating this, because we're told not to grieve the way that most people grieve. All right. Proceed. And I want to start at 13. I'd love it. Thank you. I'm going to me kind of get through no, I, we couldn't overhear this verse. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as indeed the rest of mankind do, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus... Okay, why do the people that grieve... The people that grieve... The people that grieve wrongly, why do they grieve wrongly? I heard two reasons in that verse. They have no hope. They have no hope. And they're uninformed. Let's not fall into that error of not having hope and not being informed. That is informed of what actually happens. What does Scripture tells us about? We've got to know 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going well, to sit here and read the whole thing. We could, but that's the, the, there's the love chapter, which is 1 Corinthians 13, and there's the resurrection chapter, which is 1 Corinthians 15. We teach, when we teach death and resurrection and critical skills, we read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. We have to know the truth of resurrection. It's, it's, this was known, I love to remind myself, that the teaching of resurrection wasn't revealed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. How do I know that? Because we just read that when Jesus showed up to Mary and Martha about Lazarus. They started teaching yeah. Jesus about yes, resurrection. We know. We know, we know what happened. We know. The last the last day. <laughs> of course, we all believe in resurrection because you can't be a believer and not believe in resurrection. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. We know resurrection. And he'll be last day. We're all going to be resurrected. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we all have good doctrine, Jesus. And in his kindness and patience, he says, Okay. <laughs> I am. That's good. It's just going to stop with I am. <laughs> That's good, Martha. You got that right. So one of our watchouts as we wade through the waters of grief is one of our, the, the third rail that we must not touch is, am I indulging hopelessness? And we have to remind ourselves we have these commands in the scriptures. We must remind ourselves repeatedly. Don't let yourself go. Just let yourself go down paths of depression and hopelessness. We have to arrest these thoughts, bring every thought under the obedience of Christ. And one of these things that we have to arrest is, wait a second. Is this hopeless the way that I'm thinking? Would it have been better if God did something different? I want us to be able to hold his hand walk through this process that he's walking through, be sensitive to him, and yet never give him some sappy, sentimental Americanism yeah. kind of pity that's anti-biblical that will lead him away from the kingdom. I won't do it. Let's hear the whole passage. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do. Who have no hope. Do we all agree that we will not take our cues from the rest of mankind? Yes. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
Mine says encourage. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. <coughs> now, what's my assignment, according to Paul, about what I'm supposed to do with her? Well, one thing that we can't get away from in this passage is I'm supposed to remind her the resurrection's coming. There's a process that Jesus has put into effect. It's going to happen exactly like this. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we will join them. That's what it says. And we're supposed to, this is supposed to be such a common part of our faith and our story that we remind each other of these things. And I'm telling you, we don't. We don't remind each other of this stuff. If we, if we have this uh, mindset and we really understand that this is Paul, to be absent of this body is to be present with the Lord. And we really believe that's when the good stuff kicks in. Then, one, we have nothing but joy for believers who have gone before us. All of our hope, really, is in the resurrection to come. And so you could really see how, if you think, what's happening here while I live on planet Earth and I have this zip code that I have right now is just a moment. This, now, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, which is probably worth reading. We believe that these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a weight of glory which far surpasses them all. Yeah, and he says in Romans 8, 18, I consider our present sufferings are not worth compared to the glory that will be revealed. Right. So you can understand if we really glorify heaven and being with the Lord in our minds the way that we should, you could see how being here on earth, the only value is discipleship and being conformed into the image of Christ. Lord, make the most of these days that I have here, because the good stuff's coming. This isn't the good stuff. Thank you for this turkey sandwich. I'm glad that it tastes good. I give you praise for that. I believe that I can experience your goodness here. But Lord, what is to come? And I always think of Negro spirituals, which talked about heaven all the time. Why did they talk about heaven all the time? Because their existence here was torturous. But there's a sense in which that should be all of our mindsets. And like, may I live today as if heaven is a reality and there's a resurrection coming. And my goal today is not to luxuriate in pleasure. My goal today is that I would be your disciple and I would obey you and follow you. Now, some of his commands are to enjoy we're in the Sabbath right now. His command is to, I want you to rest and enjoy this. Okay, I'll do it if you tell me to. I'll enjoy it. Okay, great. I can enjoy. I'm, I'm good at that. I know how to enjoy. And sometimes he says, no, you're going to walk through a valley of the shadow of death. And you go, I'm, I'm ready. That's what this is for. As my father said, I gave you my life when I was 17. So that's not a problem. That's what this time is for. Thanks for hanging in this long, everybody. Mark and I are going to be back next week, at least in part reviewing the trip that we had to Texas and some of the great experiences we had there. And I just want to revisit. We made a big announcement about our meetup that was happening for uh, some social time together and some pickleball. And if you made it out there, I'm so glad you did. It was a tremendous time. If you didn't, I sure hope we're going to see you at the next Abraham's Wallet meetup that we're going to do, which looks like it'll either be around the Minnesota area or around North, North Carolina. Those are two kind of hotbeds for our people. If you want to be on our next tour stop, uh, tour is probably a strong word, the, the next place that we appear together, um, we'd love for you to join in to our Abraham's Wallet headquarters. That's just a forum where we talk with our people and answer questions and have some great discussion. There's been a great discussion there recently on uh, parenting. Nothing really to do with any podcast episodes specifically, but simply discussion that's been happening. And we really value hearing directly from 
our listeners and we just surveyed recently everybody in uh, AWHQ, the Abe's Wallet headquarters, our little forum, just about how, how do you like what we're doing? What can we do better? We love hearing that kind of stuff. So we'd welcome you to come there um, and join our AWHQ forum. And the only way, this sounds like a plug, uh, it's not. It's simply the only way, the only way that we know how to give a, a key to enter into that forum is by making the doorway in somebody who is bought in enough that they'll simply give us a cup of coffee a month. So if you go to abrahamswallet.com slash donate and you commit to giving us a cup of coffee a month, well, then we think that that's worth it to sit down and have a cup of coffee, That's a, that, i.e. a discussion. We don't know a better way to, to make a gateway into who gets into that uh, forum because we have a whole bunch of listeners and um, a comparatively few in that forum. We'd like there to be more, but we also value the fact that it is small and everybody has a voice. We can hear what everybody's saying. So we'd welcome you to join us there. Uh, I know you're eager to finish this episode, so I'll turn you back over to it. And uh, as for me here, I'm still recording in Texas. We'll see you next week. Speaking of hope and resurrection, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. If it is preached that Messiah rose from the dead... How are some among you saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is not a resurrection of the dead, then Messiah has not risen. And if he's not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And then we are being found false witnesses of God because we testified of God that he raised Messiah, who, if indeed the dead are not really being raised, he has not risen. For if the dead are not raised, then Messiah has not been raised. And if Messiah has not been raised, your faith is useless. You are still in your sins. And consequently, those who sleep in Messiah are lost. Those who sleep in Messiah are lost. If we only have hope in Messiah for this life, we are all miserable people. That's great. I'm going to skip to verse 51. I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all be asleep in death, but we will all be transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last shofar, for a shofar will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be transformed. And he's repeating exactly what he said in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's the same timeline. For it is necessary to clothe this corruptible with the incorruptible and to clothe this mortal with the immortal. And when this mortal will be clothed immortal, and when we hear him say that, we should be thinking of Jesus' resurrected body. That's what it means to be clothed immortal. And I love it. It means you can eat delicious fish. It also means that you can walk through walls. I love it. 53. It is necessary to clothe the corruptible with the incorruptible and to clothe this mortal with the immortal. And when this mortal will be clothed immortal and this corruptible will be clothed incorruptible, then the written word will happen. Here's the written word. Isaiah. Death was swallowed up in victory. Hosea, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, sin is the sting of death. And the power of sin is taken from the Torah. But thanks to God, to the one who gives us victory through our Lord Yeshua Messiah. Thus, my beloved brothers, you must continually be steadfast immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord always, since you have known that your labor is not without result in the Lord. That is so good that even for us to experience the effects of physical death is a very temporary 
scenario, because this day is coming, where you will, we will literally shrug our shoulders and go, what was the sting of death again? There's no sting to death. We'll, be, we'll all be glad that we and everybody we know and love have gotten rid of those old shells, and now we're really living the true good life, and there's no sting left. Right? So he says, in the meantime, I'm in, I can just feel him like trying to urge us on. Now, in, in the meantime, verse 58, you've got to continually be steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that it matters. It's not nonsense. It matters. I, I mean, if I could be a, that's what I want to be to you as a stone of help to go like, now, come on, bro. I know you're hurting. I know you're walking through the valley of shadow of death. But you've got to be steadfast and immovable. I'm just praying for you, you know. My only question with all of this, when I think of our language, I think of the way that we are to approach grief and people passing away, falling asleep in the Lord, is... It might not have nothing to do with it, but I got to ask the question because my hero, our big brother, Isaiah 53, describes him. And it says he was a man of sorrows, intimately acquainted with grief. So it leads me to ask the question what was Jesus grieving over? I think, I think it's the same question. I could be wrong. I think it's the same question when I say, why did Jesus weep at Lazarus's tomb? He was a man intimately acquainted with grief. I throw that out. I ask that as an open question. My best guess of the answer comes from the passage we just read in 1 Corinthians 15 and those 50s verses. But I'm, if we're not to grieve as the world does because they have no hope and they don't have any information and that their time is coming when there will be no sting left, okay, what, what, what was Jesus grieving over? Jesus is the only man who's ever lived who had life in heaven before he had life on earth. And he carried with him, if you'll let me use this Greek philosophy word, he had an ideal that he carried inside of him that we never have had to traffic in. So the kind of weeping that I'm contending that we might have when we cross through the veil and we see our lives as they truly are and we might shed some tears. Jesus had that kind of perspective all the time for all of the people that he saw around him. He saw through the matrix all the time, I'm, I'm, I think. And certainly he would see a demon-possessed guy like the man of the Gadarenes and Jesus does not, the lost world sees a crazy guy. Just get this guy, get the guy out of, put him away somewhere. Jesus sees this guy and he thinks, I made that guy. I made him for my glory. I didn't make him to be crazy. I didn't make him to be ostracized. I didn't make him to be chained up. And the amount of hurt and disappointment, if I can use that word, that Jesus feels at seeing one guy in that state. When he thinks of the glory that he had waiting for that guy, that circumstances and his decisions and whatever put him in this. He's carrying that around all the time. I was referencing the verse 56 of 1 Corinthians 15. Sin is the sting of death. That's what it says. So this, the grief that Jesus experienced was absolutely connected to this mission statement, the Christus, 
saying, this mission statement of, I came to set all these people free because, I'd lo- because he loves people. And he knew, he knew more grief than any of us. So I, I just want to throw in, at the end of the day, there is a grief that is really appropriate for us if we have the Lord's eyes. We grieve our lost neighbors. We should grieve the sin in our own lives. We should grieve the sin in the church. We should grieve the fact that there are people starving for the bread of the Lord and nobody's giving them the bread. That grieves me. Grief is appropriate, but we do not grieve the way the world grieves, as if we have no hope. And we, we're supposed to balance these things, and I feel like they're so out of whack that we should talk about these things regularly. That's, the, that's my thesis. We're supposed to comfort each other with these words. And when somebody goes to sleep is a perfect time to talk about this. Make sure you're informed. Here's what really happened. To me, the not trying to put judgment, but the content of this discussion this morning, this should be freaking reiterated at every Christian funeral. This content should be reiterated every time that circumstances demand us to look at the face of somebody falling to sleep or leaving us, leaving this veil. They're no longer behind this veil. We're supposed to remind each other with these words. We're supposed to remind. Now, everybody, let's all hold hands now. We can't fall down the rabbit hole of sadness and depression, right? Okay, let's remember resurrection. If there's no resurrection, we're all lost. Right? We believe in resurrection, right? And we grieve, we, yes, we, of course we grieve with those who grieve. If my mom, if I get a call today that my mom broke down and I need to go see her today, I'll figure out a way to get there. I want to comfort her. I'm not going to say, just remember there's a resurrection, mom. I'm going to be, I'm going to be there for people who are struggling. But we don't grieve the way the world grieves and we're not going to grieve the way the pop church grieves. Okay, well, why don't we just say back to the Lord whatever you heard. And if you have something to repent of, this would be a great time to confess. And correct, you can correct your beliefs in a moment. You can just decide, I don't believe that anymore. I believe this. So I'll just open up by saying, Lord, I'm just so grateful that you tell us how to approach these things. I love your word. And you have not left us as orphans. You have told us what you're like. You told us how to approach these things. You've told us stories. You've given us examples. Thank you for the story of Lazarus. Thank you for the 23rd Psalm. Thank you for for Paul going off on a tangent in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Thank you for the reality of resurrection. I want you to edit my heart. I want my heart to be in sync with your word. And um, as your disciple, I'm going to work on it with you. Um, that, that I might be conformed into the image of your son by your word. I, I, I'm just asking for the grace, Lord, the mercy, which I have felt since my father passed. And I've been reminded that things that we get worked up about don't matter near as much as we can think that they do. And I, I ask God for a perspective on my life and days and my problems that is appropriate. And forgive me, Lord, for all of the hand-wringing I do about utter nonsense. And help me to, to carry the, the reality of eternity into my everyday And I want to say, Lord, that I know that walking around as Christ had to be a heavy, grievous walk. And I also know that it was lonely for you. When you, like, my boys can't even pray with me one hour. I'm about to die. And um, 
I just want to say, Lord, and I know I kind of uh, don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know what I'm asking for, but I, I want to say to you, I want to volunteer to you, I'm willing to walk with you in, in the grief that comes with true love and, 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 and seeing people as they are and loving them and loving your plan even when it, it's, people aren't submitting to it. And I, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. We pray for our city, Lord. Uh, we pray for the, the church here, the church that's inside and outside of institutions. I just pray that you'll purify your bride, Lord. That she would put all of her hope in your resurrection in the fact that you are the champion, you're the victor, and that the day is most certainly coming when we will say, where's the sting of death? It's gone. And please, Lord, would you purify our ethic about such things as suffering and passing away and the life that is to come and Forgive us, Lord, that in our places of worship, we teach that the good life is to be had here. Forgive us, Lord. The good life is coming when we're with you and when reality is, reality happens. And we want you to purify our hearts, Lord, by your word, that we might think your thoughts and we might harness our own feelings and thoughts and our will to um, synchronize with your word. Of all the good things we've tasted, you surpass them all. <laughs>